You down with D and D? Yeah, you know me. You down with D and D? Yeah, you know me. You down with D and D? Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D and D? Down with D and D? You down with D and D? Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D and D? Are you ready to get down with some D&D? I know I am, and I am joined, as I am always joined, by the maternal, mature, and meticulous Mad Wizard Merwin. What is up, Sean? I think both of our voices are probably an octave lower uh, than than they were uh, three days ago. That's true. Let me we can just see the whole Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Yeah. yeah. We're going to turn this show into a mud pit. Uh-huh. There will be typhlings flying and elves not... In the lovely state that you normally see them in. Mm-hmm. And infernal uh, engines everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Powered by souls. Exactly. Well, maybe not in this episode, but we did an episode on that, right? We we did, I think. Uh, well, the reason our voices are so low, I think, is because we just were at a convention and probably did more talking than we would normally do, which makes our voices a little gravelly. Yeah, since it's the Queen City Conquest, uh, it just happened. Yesterday was the last day of the con. Today we are now uh, here recording a podcast for all you lovely folks. Yeah. So that's how much we love you all. Mm-hmm. We're, we're here even though we're tired and, and uh, a little bit gravelly. Yeah, so let's talk about that in our announcements and news. Let's talk about the QCC post-mortem. Sean, would you tell me about your experience with your the QCC since I didn't actually get to talk to you about it yet? Yeah, no, I I really had a great time. Um, For the first time, it moved out of the downtown convention center and to a college, um, Damon College, and it was, for me, much better uh, there. Parking was easier. It was easier for me to get to. There were more options. Um, you know, within a either walk or short driving distance, it was just a little bit more laid back uh, for me than than it was in its downtown location. So I thought that was really cool. Secondly, it moved from uh, early September, which is very rough for me, uh, to mid July, which is a lot easier. So I was able to come and attend all three days, uh, which was great. I ran three adventures. I got permission to write an author-only adventure for the Adventurers League, which I ran on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And I had fun running it. I hope people had fun playing it. I think they did. Um, it's it's great because I usually hate running my own stuff, but with this, you have some sort of flexibility. So I, I was able to tailor it more to each table. Um, and, and I think it, it worked out well uh, from that. So that's something that I will be able to run at other conventions, and I'm looking forward to doing that. And I always try to play a game at QCC, uh, if I can, a non-D&D game. And uh, Pastor Tom from Eden was mm-hmm. running a Dresden Files game using the Genesis system from the Fantasy Flight games uh, originated in the, their Star Wars game. So I got to reacquaint uh, myself with those funky dice, and I, I had a, had a lot of fun um, playing it. I was walking around. I was looking for someone to talk to, and, and Tom was sitting at a table. He needed one more player, and he's like, Sean, get over here. So I got over there, and I'm glad I did because it, it, it was a lot of fun. And I got to talk to a bunch of people who I don't get to talk to normally. I don't think I'd seen Phil or you or Bob in, in a long time, so I got to chat for a few minutes. And some of the guests there, like Rich Lescouflair, uh from Alligator Alley Games, and Brian from, from the same, uh, got to do lunch with them and you know chat about freelancing. So that's that was my experience there. How about you? Well, I run that show. I'm one of the people who runs that show. We are mm-hmm. uh, one of the convention organizers. And I had um I don't know it was a really smooth experience the the new location um the people there were so kind to us uh, they're very easy to work with very easy to to deal with um we had very we didn't have any problems really once we opened the doors like the the whole show ran smoothly even before we opened the doors like the setup and everything that show was really easy to put was really easy to run from mm-hmm. from that perspective. Uh, Damon's a really nice location. Uh, everybody seemed to say so. Yeah. A lot of people liked it a lot more than they liked being downtown at the convention center. So I haven't heard anything really bad about Damon. I was a little skeptical uh, myself going from uh, downtown to the to the college, but uh, it's pretty all right. I liked yeah. it. Um, 
It was a little chilly a couple of nights, but we kind of. But I'd rather be a little bit chilly than a little bit too warm, right, John? Yeah, especially you know, in eighty degree, ninety degree weather with eighty percent humidity. I I prefer cold over warm any day. I can always throw a layer on. I can't take my skin off. Um, I since I'm I'm running the show, it's usually hit or miss if I can uh, do things right. But we have a, a schedule of uh, who's supposed to be working when. So I actually had a, a lot of uh, off time to either be flexibly around for convention things or to, uh, you know, talk to people and play a lot of games. I actually play a lot of board games because I can sit down and play them for, uh, you know, short periods of time. I also facilitated a bunch of board games instead of running games, Mm -hmm. like role-playing games this year because people were looking for that. So I wanted to make sure that we had more of that stuff on the schedule. Yeah. I know. I saw you. I was running a game and I'd look over and I'd see you sitting there uh, running a board game with people. Mm Mm-hmm. So uh, that's mostly what I did this year. Um... I think probably the most interesting thing I played all weekend uh, from a from a game perspective was I, I did get to play one role playing. I got to play Tricksters, where you got to it's a it's a GMless game where you actually are playing uh, gods um, that are essentially trickster gods in some situation in history. Uh, so we were playing. Um, I was Coyote. And mm-hmm. the people I were playing with was uh, Ennis, the, the Greek goddess, mm-hmm. uh, Anansi, and Loki. Mm-hmm. And we were in the in Age of Enlightenment uh, trying to mess up the East India Company's relationship with a Indian prince mm. by breaking up their by breaking up the prince's wedding to a fairly powerful um, woman. And also destroying the relationship with that prince in the East India Company because the East, because there's an organization out there called the the Gray or a force out there called the Gray, which is has killed all the gods and is corrupting the world. Interesting. So, uh, was I think I walked up on you as you were talking about that with Were you talking about that with the person who created it? Yeah, Eric Simon. Okay, cool. All right. Yes. So from Foreign Hand Games. Um, it's a really fun game. Uh, it's. It's. I think that game is is better if you're uh, kind of like understand a little bit about history and and the history of the gods and whatnot and the history of the the time period that you're playing in. Yeah. So you can make a lot of the jokes that go along with that because the tone of the game is supposed to be silly because you're playing not silly but uh, mischievous because you're playing tricksters right so there's supposed mm-hmm. to be jokes and hilarity but also every situation is a terrible situation in history like. Those things happened about the East India Company um, basically exploiting uh, in the nation of India for their resources and, and their goods and whatnot. So mm-hmm. that was um, and, and pretty much every little little mini setting that goes along with that or little uh, thing that you jump into is something like that. Cool. Yeah, I, it's re- I wish it's I had really done that. For it. That would have been fun. Yeah, yeah you would have liked it a lot, Sean. Um it's an interesting game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you all know out there, like, I, I love me some D&D. I'm totally down with D&D, but I play a lot of other games, too. Sure. And this is one of those um, games where, you know, they, essentially, they say it's GMless. What happens is sort of the antagonistic, it's not antagonistic, but the GM role rotates between players, and um, the uh, the lead narration role rotates between players. So okay. whoever, whatever gods got the spotlight on them, they basically narrate once you decide what your goal is for that scene as a group. Like they basically narrate how things go and role play with the people around them until whoever you decide is is going to play the antagonist or the opposition for that scene says, "Okay, hold on, but what about this?" Mm-hmm. And then they answer that question, and the the whoever the the spotlighted players answers that question, and then the person who is um, the antagonist says, "Well." Okay, that makes sense. Or why don't you give me a roll? Mm-hmm. And this game has a lot of different kinds of success and failure. Like there's like five levels of success, um, but you have three stats and you roll three d6s, and you want to roll under your stats. Except there's this one stat called flaw. That's your flaw, and every time you roll over that one, it goes up. Mm. So it's driving you to this thing where when you roll under all three of your numbers, it's called a dramatic success. So you get everything that you want, but you really harm something or someone or s- on the way to getting that. Gotcha. Like so a trickster is, god would. Like a trickster god would. So it's really clever in that mechanic. Yeah. Um, so that's 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 good, and that's what happened. We actually succeeded, but we uh, 
unfortunately harmed the family of the woman who was supposed to marry the prince pretty badly. They were arrested, and they were going to be executed, and she ended up being destitute and having to run away to England, which was a terrible life for her. Yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, and you know, you say, you know, you love D&D, but you like other games, too. I think it's terribly important, you know, even as a player, definitely as a DM, or certainly as a game designer, to reach out and to try other games. Because what you're describing, you know, get, getting fluent in a game like that is very important as a D&D uh, DM, as a D&D creator. Uh, even if you are a very mechanical, you know, your players just like rolling the dice and, and engaging with their character sheet, the audience of D&D is growing, as we've seen. It, it's been doubling every year, basically, um, based on new stats that they put out. And the players that are coming in want different experiences. And being uh, adept at doing things like that game does, uh, being able to, to narrate and then to think of dramatic or comedic or any sort of um, consequences or uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Altercations, uh, conflict. Those uh, sorts of con- things. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. right. Uh, consequences is the right thing. Or complications to the situation right. is, is yeah. another one you can use. Thinking of complications uh, on the fly to to deepen the game or to turn it in a new direction is so important to be able to do. So that's why I love you know, playing these different games that come at the same sort of mechanics uh, of you know conflict and resolution just from a different way. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh, can I talk? I want to talk about one more game because this one's. Sure. It's called. It's called. It's the other one that I played this weekend. The other role playing game I played this weekend. It was called um, Trophy, and it's something you can get through the Gauntlet. If you're um, not aware of what the Gauntlet is, the Gauntlet is a uh, uh, an organization that runs lots and lots of games online, mm-hmm. and they have a uh, Patreon, and they have a bunch of podcasts, and they have a zine called Codex. And Trophy is inside Codex a lot of the time, but I think it's going to be published like. Um, they're going to do a Kickstarter with all the different little uh, situations that go along with the game. So what Trophy is, is that you are an adventurer, and this game is best to play with, like one, uh, with two or three players. Um, you're, an, you're an adventuring person who is about to go into this forest, for lack of a better term. And in the middle of the forest is the thing that you have been desiring and looking for forever, whatever the MacGuffin is that you want, be it riches or whatnot. And... The game is about going into this forest and knowing, as a player, that you are going to die or go crazy while you get to the middle of this forest and get the th- and maybe get the thing that you want. Mm-hmm. So it is a slow descent into mm-hmm. madness and terribleness as you go into the middle of this place. And I played this game, and it was amazing. Like, I love me some Call of Cthulhu also, so, like, this was right in my alley. And it's another one of those games where... um. As you make rolls, you, you have a stat that will start ascending. That is like a, um, a madness-type stat. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really go down. And as it goes up, like you start getting these like conditions. So we were playing one that had a theme surrounding it of the Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. So I got a little... Uh, I, I failed one of those rolls, and my, my number went up. But I also got the condition called um, Unnerving Hunger. <laughs> and my unnerving hunger was to eat hearts, like because I was hollow on the inside that or bestial. Be mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was like it was riffing on the whole Tin Man Lion thing. Sure, one of those things. So there were a number of scenes like that occurred after that, where like I, I, um, we were in the forest and the trees attacked us and poked out one of our eyes. Um, because you know Wizard of Oz that happens, not the poking out of the eyes, but the trees attack. Right. Um. But I felt I heard the beating of the heart of the tree, so like I like went over to the tree and I started licking the bark, <laughs> and that caused my companion to make a uh, a horror roll. And uh, at some point, my companion started turning into the in, like his arm went from being flesh and blood to being a burlap sack. And we're like, that's not right. No, and we actually took a we took a knife out and we cut his arm just to see what would happen a little bit, and it started spurting out um, straw. That freaked us out pretty good. <laughs> so it it's stuff like that, but like um, the, the the game 
does a really good job of uh, driving you crazy. Like, and you get a if you um, if you this is the thing about preparing people for what's going to happen. Like, we knew what we were getting into. We were explained very early on that like you're going to go crazy and you're probably going to die. And this is not a game to win. This is a game where you play to lose. And if you're in for that, then it's great. It's a game where you play to lose. And if you know that up front, then it's really fun because you can lean into all that stuff. Yeah, it sounds great. And yeah, and on the bright side, when you get to this, uh, when you get to six, the force gets you in this stat. But when you're at, and it's not always easy to get to six, right? Because you have to, you have to fail your fail your roll, which you have to roll over that, so you have to roll six on that roll to to lose. But um, at the very last instant, like the force is trying to tell me, like. Like, none of this is real and whatnot. And I'm like, fine, Forrest, I believe you. None of this is real. Like, I'm, I've already gone mentally insane. Um, my love... It's a dark game, too. So, like, um, my love... I was trying to destroy the last painting of this terrible artist, which was supposedly in the middle of this forest, which it, uh, it, I don't think it was in the end, because um, I was just... I was tricked to come here, apparently. Uh, but my... Uh, my love was painted in a bunch of inappropriate ways on these paintings by this artist. And that was one bad thing. And then we found out that my, uh, my father had beaten and murdered my mother over throughout the story. Like that was, those are things that came out about the character. So there's a, there's a bad theme. Like this game is not nice yeah, on purpose. That's, that's pretty cheerful. It's pretty cheerful. Yeah, it's not, no, no, it's not. <laughs> that's the point. Um, so that's, those are my two game experiences and they're really it's lovely. Just, yeah. Fun ones. So, so do you think it'll be in the same place at the same time next year? Uh, we're we're talking about it. Okay, cool. Well, as soon as you know, let me know because I want to uh, save the date. Yeah, on D and D stuff, it was we had a really good turnout for D and D. We had the epic um, oh, yeah. on Saturday afternoon. There were people singing. That was cool. Yep. Like uh, that, I, I we all had to stop at one second because we're in the other room and there, because there was like a, a thumping singing song going on. Like. Oh, cool! The epic—they're—they're they're, they're doing their thing. That's great. Yeah, it was. So that was so, someone said I've never played an epic where a musical number broke out. Mm-hmm. Um, we had uh, aside from your author on, only adventures there, we had three um, other CCCs premiere at the QCC this year by Scott yep. uh, that Scott Moore facilitated in getting done. Mm-hmm. So that was neat. Um, so that that was really cool. Hopefully, we'll have more of that next year. Yeah. All right, let's move on then. Unless you got something else to say. No, let's talk about the other news, uh, which is there is a, uh, that's not a survey, but they're asking for your help on the wizards.com website. Um, They have an article up called Strange Properties of Artifacts. So Wizards works with Extra Life, um, and they've been working with them since 2013. Um, Extra Life is part of the Children's Miracle Network. And last year they created uh, many things and, and did many activities to raise money, including the adventure, The Lost Laboratory of Qualish, um, an adventure that they put up on the DMs Guild. And so for 2019, they're working on a new adventure, and they need your help. So they've asked before for the community to come up with thoughts on elemental trinkets, things that a giant might carry in its bag, or unusual lich phylacteries. So this time what they're asking for is community input on strange properties of artifacts. So if you go to your Dungeon Master's Guide and look at pages 219 through 221, you'll see that there's a list of general strange effects that you might get when you um, when you possess or attune to an artifact. And they're looking for major ones, minor ones, just unusual ones of 150 words or less. And there's a nice form on the site Uh, And there's a link in our show notes, or you can just go to the website at wizards.com and find it. And so they they just want to get your creative input. So feel free to do that. Uh, That's something that I think is, you know, it's it's a very small thing, but it's a a very powerful thing of game design to come up with new and interesting uh, things like this. I think that's pretty neat. Do you have any? Off the top of your head? I don't have any off the top of my head, and if I do, I'd be jotting them down and putting them in products. So, No, that's true. That's, yeah. that's, that's very accurate. But um, it's it's one of my favorite things to do is to give magic items, as we will talk about later. Uh, give magic items, but also give strange properties that people have to deal with rather than just having a plus one sword. Yeah, I mean, I, I hate boring magic items. Yep. Uh, for instance, we're playing an Eberron campaign, and somebody's like, where's all the magic items? And I start listing them all, and they're like, those aren't really magic items. I'm like, they're totally magic items. They're things like, 
oh look, you have a um a a head with a collar on it that can talk to you because the head is it's, it's it used to be a gargoyle, but now it's just right. a head that you have like as a pet. Yep. That knows some amount of things, but uh, yep. you know, it's a it's a talking head that you can carry around with you. Like that's mm-hmm. totally a magic item, by the way. Absolutely, it's magical and it does stuff. Mm-hmm. Um. So, like stuff like that's fun. I agree. Yep. Hey, I heard this Acquisitions Incorporated book is out. You know, it's been so long since we actually recorded a podcast together because you had your your Mike Shea interview and then I had uh, my Alyssa Grant interview. So. Well, we haven't had a chance to actually talk about this, but yes, the Acquisitions Incorporated D&D hardcover is out. It's been out for about a month now, and I'm loving it. I'm loving the feedback on it, uh, I, whether people like it or don't. Uh, I've gotten some great feedback. The only feedback that's not helpful is Acquisitions Incorporated is stupid and it's not really D&D, because then that doesn't tell me anything because you haven't read the book. People who say that you're stupid and you're not really D and D. That's right. So yeah. So I, I no, guess it's, it's been great. There are um, there are actual plays out there running through the adventure, and people are using the showing how they're using the different roles from uh, you know, from the the corporate structure, and I am enjoying the heck out of it. So. One, I've I've only heard good things about this book so far. I haven't heard anybody say anything bad about it, which is a, po- a plus positive because usually I will hear some amount of bad somewhere about a thing, but I actually haven't. So that means it's really minimal then if it's out there. Um, two, apparently Amazon had this book on sale the day it released for like fifteen bucks or twenty bucks or something. Like you yeah, get it, it for a ridiculously low price. Yeah, it it wasn't it wasn't very expensive compared to the. The book price. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I don't know how low it got. It it fluctuates, um, but you know it was down in the in the twenty low twenties when I saw it. But it could have been even lower. Yeah, and I only know because people started saying like, "Hey, Chris, is this Acquisitions Incorporated book worth buying?" And I'm like, "Well, yeah, because Sean Merwin and Teo Sabadaya worked on it." <laughs> They're like, "Oh, okay, that's good enough for me." I had that conversation like five times, and I'm in one day. Yeah, and you know, I I know that people who are solely into watching Acquisitions Incorporated were like, I haven't really played D and D yet, and I've been wanting to, but I haven't just had that last little push over the edge. Well, this book has pushed me over the edge, and I've had people who have no idea what Acqu- Acquisitions Incorporated is; they've never even heard of it, saying, "Well, I bought the book because Wizards published it, and I had no idea, and I didn't know what I was getting into." But you know what? I like it. I, I, I like the, the D&D aspects of it. So I, I, we're hoping, and that was one of our goals when Teos and I uh, sat down, even originally before we started, if, if we could possibly do this book, we want to make sure that it has something for everyone. And, and I, I think we did that. Um, we will also, at PAX West, Teos and I and maybe some other people involved are going to do a panel on you know, working with other people's IP when you're creating games. Um, so we're hoping that that will be a something fun for fans of AI, but also game designers or people that uh, like games from from some of their favorite TV shows or books, and and what the process is for creating a game based on IP. Nice, that'll be fantastic. Yeah, maybe we should have you Tails come on to the show sometime, and you and Tails can tell us tell us all about it. Well, well, that's something that we could definitely do, but you know, we've we've got this uh we've got this um, string of talks that you and I have done on adventure design that people were really digging. And you know, people were like, "Ah, oh, I can't wait for the next installment." And we we've had several weeks between the last installment and this one. So I think it's time to get back into the adventure design groove. What do you think? Yes, let us go. Part 8. Adventure Rewards. Yeah. So rewards have been a part of D&D adventures and D&D campaigns since the beginning. Um, for many players, especially those who have been playing since, you know, OD&D or first edition, the rewards of the game are the game. That That's what they're most interested in. Stories are fine, but they uh, they're all about their character and seeing their character develop um, over the levels. Um, and because of that, 
a careful presentation of rewards are important uh, for DMs to to consider. It's true. You know, with anything pleasurable or enticing, you you can have too much of a good thing. So it never hurts to be wary of giving out rewards too quickly or too generously, because it could come back to haunt you later in the campaign. It can, and you also need to understand. And we're going to go through a list of different kinds of rewards and their kind of their what they do and their benefits, and mm-hmm. maybe how you can use them too too often, mm-hmm. um, and maybe ways to like utilize them to drive drive the other things that you might want in your game, be it story or you know character development or things like that. Mm-hmm. And so one of the ways I like to think about rewards is to try to break them down into categories. And if you think about them on a purely macro level, um, there are two categories of rewards. There are mechanical rewards, which I count as rewards that directly directly infect. Well, that's one way of saying it. That was a Freudian slip there. Directly affect the power level of the characters or what the characters can do or how effectively the characters can do things. Mm -hmm. And then there are story awards. Awards that do not touch mechanics at all, but um, affect the way that the story of the game, the narrative of your campaign and of your adventures, the way they unfold. And I I separate those two with the understanding that there there can be an interplay between them. Um, So it's it's artificial to, to pull them apart like that. But as we talk about them, we can talk about ways in which they are intertangled and can affect each other. Well, I think those categories are more like a sliding scale, right? Um, it depends. It depends. If if you want to break it down um, to purely mechanical, it's just this is something that changes the rules to make my character stronger or well, weaker, depending. Y- yeah, my point is like you can put the slider all the way to the end where it's mechanical, right? Or you can take that slider and slide it across where it, until it gets all the way to the end where it's just story. But you can do if you you can mix and match those two sides as much much or as little as you want. Right. Yeah. That, that's what I'm saying. But I don't think it's a slider. Um, I think it is. You can have rewards that do both. You can have. Yeah. You can have rewards that do both, and I think that's what you're trying to say. Mm-hmm. You can you can have a reward that affects both mechanics and story at the same time. And I find those to be the best ones. And absolutely. But just in terms of breaking it down, uh, just in terms of being the mad scientist of it, you mm-hmm. can pull those apart and say, this reward is directly mechanical, right? Uh, gaining the ability to add a D6 to your uh, sneak attack is purely mechanical. Um, getting the ear of the queen so that she will... Uh, give you leave to enter the Forbidden Forest is story-based. Now, that story-based can lead to more mechanical rewards, but in and of itself, it doesn't give your character an extra D6 or an extra plus one to their saving throws. It's, a, it's a, a merely a story reward. So that's why I want to make sure that we clarify those two points as we discuss them so we can show how they interact with each other. Does that make sense? It does. Um, okay. It, it does to break them down so that people can see the sides. Right. Okay. Um, but and but I, I, and later I am going to exploit exactly that same right. example to, to show how those are actually both in the opposite way, um, mechanical and story benefits. Yep. Yeah. For, absolutely for sure. Uh, so let's talk about rewards. Um, sure. So let's start with experience points, right? Let, let's talk with experience points. So experience points may seem to be a mechanical um, benefit, but they're really not, right? They, they, they Experience points in and of themselves in 5th edition do not give you anything just on their own. You don't get a bonus for having experience points. Experience points can be um, a measure of progress toward a mechanical benefit, which will be leveling up. But in and of themselves, they don't they don't do anything, which is why they can be removed from the game 
without <laughs> that was awesome. I don't know what that was. <laughs> it was a, there's a, a construction crew in the neighborhood. Awesome. I love that. Uh, I need I need a horn to blow whenever I say certain words. I think I know, right? <laughs> okay, so so as I was saying, uh, the the experience points in and of themselves are not uh, either a story benefit or a mechanical benefit. They are just a measure. However, players some players get very angry if you do not give them because they are a measure of progress. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, so I always think of experience points in D&D. So, so let's talk about the variety of ways that you can use experience points as a reward mechanism in D&D. Mm-hmm. So if you were playing a game where that you were actually um, tracking experience points as like, like from encounter to encounter, right? Like it, it matters to your game, like you're doing the hex crawl thing or you're doing the dungeon exploration thing where like, well... You can't really level up until you've acquired X amount of experience points. Then, um, from a reward standpoint, it's tra- it's measuring progress, but it's mm-hmm. also giving you a core loop of I go, I do a thing, I get rewarded with this number that's getting me closer to the thing that I really want, which is leveling. Mm-hmm. So um, that is a reward cycle, right? And, and that's the thing I think that we uh, that we'll we'll talk about later as we. We'll talk about with all of these things. So that's your cycle of rewarding. That's why you, your characters get their dopamine rush in a lot of ways. Right. If you're really pushing on the experience point thing. But experience points can also just be what you said, which is a pacing mechanism. Because it's what they are. Uh, they're, they're, it, and a lot of times in D&D, they can be that too. Right? That's why we have milestone experience. Mm-hmm. Because that is essentially a pacing mechanism. Which is what you said. Yes. Well, my, yeah, miles. Slow down, Sean. Here we go. Ready? The definition of milestone in the Dungeon Master's Guide is a little different than sometimes we might use it. Mm -hmm. So milestone is XP. It's just getting XP for something other than killing of monsters. Sure, but we now have that new version where you are going to get experience points when you hit... You're not going to get experience points necessarily, but you're going to get levels when you hit certain points in play. Yep. Also, yep. there's that new thing in AL where you're going to get um, these check marks, which are essentially a bunch of milestone right. experience. Yeah. It, it's just another It's just another pacing mechanism, as you say. It's just another... Mm-hmm. You, we're just taking it from a very granular level where you could have one experience point, right, or ten, uh, and you're going to take that into a lesser granular... Um, amount. So now you just need, you know, four uh checkpoints rather than four hundred experience points, say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the base idea in D and D is that you get experience points for killing monsters and you get experience points for um doing things, that's the milestone experience. Right. Um whichever one your game puts more of an emphasis on will actually be especially if you're really keeping track of that stuff, will be where kind of the thing that you're driving your players towards doing. Uh, would you agree with that, Sean? Yes, absolutely. All right. So, if you're de-emphasizing the amount of experience points or having less um, combat encounters, and you're giving more milestone experience, your game has a different different focus. Yep. Especially if that's what your characters are getting rewarded for. Right. So, in the DMG, you know, we've talked about the experience points for killing monsters. We've talked about the milestone experience point points for doing certain things. They also give a level advancement without XP as an option. And mm-hmm. they give two examples. They give session-based and story-based. So a, ses- a session-based is after a certain number of sessions, you are going to gain a level. And you could set those up ahead of time or not. Um, story-based is the story itself drives uh, your advancement. So you could spend an hour doing a certain thing, but if the story says we did what we needed to within the story to earn us the next level, you get that level regardless of experience points or sessions or whatever. It's just the story says, here we go. Yeah, so real quick, let's talk about those two things. Mm-hmm. Session-based session based leveling is you're getting rewarded for showing up and playing the game. Yep, and, um, and that's what the AL really has gone to. Right? Mm-hmm. For every so many hours that you play, you get... A certain uh, number of checkpoints, and those checkpoints translate later into levels. Yep. And story-based leveling is about playing the game to complete 
or move the story along to its conclusion. Mm-hmm. So those are different foci than killing monsters or exploration or um, interaction. Which because yep. so now we're talking about a whole bunch of different experience point systems. Sure. And story based. The, the 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 funny thing is, the game is moving forward towards story based advancement. You know the hardcover books. They don't assume that you are going to track every experience point. They don't say, most of them, especially the newer ones, don't say give a 1,000 experience points for completing um, you know, the saving of the prince. They just assume that you are going to move on to the next level once you get past this point in the story. Yes, that is. I agree with you. That is where D&D is going towards. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, as as a DM now, we're talking about rewards. You and, and I think Chris mentioned this. You need to think about what your players are expecting, what they're going to be happy with, um, when you reward them in this way. You know, do they need that constant drip, drip, drip of encouragement or of fulfillment that comes with experience points, or are they? happy to let that go and just be focused on the story rather than on that constant need for small rewards. Well, and we'll talk about this. Okay. So reward cycles in games are important. They create sort of the reason why you want to keep back and coming and playing them, right? Right. So, And different players get rewarded by different things. We're going to talk about it. Now, I think, a whole bunch of other different ways to reward your players, right. which if you've heard us talk about um, pacing and like story beats and things like that before, like you could beat out in ways your and I don't mean beat like hit, but I mean like like pace out the different kinds of rewards to give because they all kind of give different um, s- different gratifications. Mm-hmm. So you don't always need to give somebody a level if you can give them something else. Right. Or you can make the level the reward, even though it's a regular part of the game. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about gaining power, gaining levels. Sure, right? sure, absolutely. So as I just said, leveling is a given in the game. But you can make it feel like a reward by using either mechanics or a story to gate that leveling and yes. make players earn it, not as part of a game with certain points, but as part of a story. Uh, and that can help, especially if you're a DM who likes, who wants your characters more involved in the story and less focus on counting every experience point they get. This is a way to bridge that gap between you. Yeah. So, so, you, so you can say, I know next level you want to multi-class from, you know, from rogue to uh, ranger. And... In order to do that, let's talk about how that would make sense story-wise. And now you are you are melding, as Chris was talking about on that slider, now you are melding mechanics and story in a way to allow the, the, the player to get what they want for their character, but also engage more in the story to make their wants the character's wants and to play the consequences of that want out in terms of the narrative. So in order to gain that ranger level, they may need to do certain things. They may need to find someone who is willing to train them in the ranger arts as opposed to the rogue arts. Uh, Or they may need to go to a place, if they begin in a city and all of their ranger abilities are going to be nature-based, they need to actually go to that place where they will be trained as a ranger. And this is not like an unusual or new thing in Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, this stuff existed back in the, uh, in the earliest versions of the game, especially if you were a druid. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, Because if you were a druid, you had to go find another druid who was higher up and ranked than you in the circles and uh, defeat them in some way, shape or form so you could take their spot. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Or, you know, if you were a wizard, you would need to find someone who knows the spells that you are hoping to learn to teach you, right? All of these things are remnants of the game's past that can be brought forward and used 
uh, to get the game, the kind of game that you want. Yeah. And in the core of the game, these things are not necessarily laid out, but these are all modules, or modular elements that you can bring into your play, um, mm -hmm. depending on what the kind of game you want. And it's how you kind of craft the reward system that you want for the game that you're running that works best. Uh, it is very important that you make sure that you get um, get you get get the players on board with that at the beginning. Otherwise, this all falls down. If they don't know how they're going to get rewarded, it becomes a giant problem. It's actually one of the nice things about Adventures League, even when they change stuff. Sometimes and I hear all the complaints. Like they're very clear about what you get, re how you get rewarded for yep. for playing. Yep. Yeah, and uh, I mean the Adventures League is a whole different problem, which. A problem in the sense of a problem that needs to be solved, not a, not that the rules themselves as they are now are a problem. It's just something that always needs to be at the forefront of the AL admins' minds because it greatly affects the play experience of everyone playing Adventures League. Um, it's also why you don't see, in my opinion, a lot of the... Um, experience points for X or whatever in the hardcover books mm -hmm. because they're leaving it open for you to decide how you want to reward the people that are playing through their adventures. Right. Which is neat. It's a, It gives you some flexibility. Yeah. And I feel like they would probably let you know that more in these books except they have to deal with word count and book size because they can only yep. put so many words in a book. Yep. Um. So those are like those are two two of the two two major ways that people um, get rewarded in adventures. Mm -hmm. uh, what about wealth, Sean? Yeah, so wealth is a complicated factor in one way and a very simple factor in another. It's very simple um, in the fact that wealth really doesn't have a mechanical benefit in 5th edition. You can't buy magic items. There, there aren't prices for magic items. Obviously, as a DM, you can decide to sell magic items um, I think other than potions of healing, um, there isn't a price listed for many magic items. So wealth is, in many ways, just a story reward because you can change your situation, but you can't necessarily change what's written on your character sheet in terms of stats and powers and so on. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think money in this game is way more of a story reward than a mechanical reward. Like, it, it, makes, it means that you don't have to deal with the destitution part of the game. Like, well, we don't have any money for the inn. No, no, you totally have money for the inn now. Yeah. But uh, it, it's definitely, a, in a lot of ways, a story thing. Yep, and I, now that I'm mentioning this, the only, the only way that wealth really does come into play is with... Um, was with wizards and their spell books and gaining spells um, because they do need money to buy new spells but if you give them so much wealth that they can buy every spell in the, the game then you are mechanically uh, making those wizards more powerful than they would be otherwise mm -hmm. so that's one way that the I think the game I wish the game had not made that a thing I wish they had just said these are the spells you know, and you can't know any more than this. Well, that's also still assuming, can they go and find those spells to purchase them? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So as as the DM, you can gate that. Uh, but like in Adventures League, that becomes harder because you have to make a standard that every DM must follow. Yeah, Adventures so. League has got that whole set of problems that you mentioned before because right. it's supposed to be a game that anybody can play. Yep. So and D &D, this D this version of D and D is not, yeah, you had like Adventure League had to build a game inside the game. Yep. So so wealth is one of those odd ducks that um, you can give as a reward, and as characters gain levels, they bec basically become very wealthier. They can, if you follow the normal treasure distribution, they can become pretty wealthy. But there's not a lot they can do with that wealth. Uh, mechanically, but they can definitely do a lot of things story-related as long as you, as the DM, give them those avenues to do so. Yeah, um, and there's uh, not not that it's I, I I'm remiss to talk about this because it's not necessarily a D and D product. Like it's a D and D product, but it's not a Wizards product. Mm -hmm. Um, the Strongholds book by Matt Colville. Yep. Like 
it brings in all that stuff that we used to have for running a running a keep. Yep. So that's like a book that like lets you use your wealth to do things. But yep. we didn't have any rules before that in the fifth edition of the game to to manage that stuff, as far as I can remember. Yep. So like it was, the wealth didn't really do a whole lot. Actually, in a lot of ways, it could have been be, been much more of a problem than anything like than, than anything uh, positive. Like um, in in our encoded designs uh, book, the Streets of Avalon, like having a lot of money is actually more of a problem than a boon. Like it's yeah. nice that you don't have to. Sp- it's nice that you don't have to spend that cash, or it's mm-hmm. nice that you don't have to worry about not having cash. But people will kill you for it. Yep. Yeah, and we do talk more about wealth in the Acquisitions Incorporated book. It being a more you know, treasure acquiring and corporate uh, greed sort of campaign where that wealth you can turn directly into things for your stronghold. So, uh, you know, oh, it, look, but you also have a, to... Well, I haven't read that I haven't read that book yet, so now there is an official D&D book that does have a way to use wealth to do cool things. There you go. And, you know, of course, you also have to give a percentage of it to the home office because... I mean, of course, right? Because you're a franchise. That's how that goes. Yeah. So, so now so, you know, if you want the official D&D book that does it, go get the Acquisitions Incorporated book, and you'll have way more ways to use your wealth. There you go. And so next we move on to the most problematic part, I think, of rewards. And we could do a whole show on this, but we'll try to keep this to you know a few minutes, and that's magic items. Players love magic items, and, and you can't blame them, right? They, they're a very tangible, very cool reward for... The things that you do, the the monsters that you kill, and the the hordes that you um, acquire, but they are also the most problematic part of the game because if you give away too many, especially in fifth edition, you are going to greatly overpower your characters, and then make it harder later for you to mechanically challenge them, but also challenge them story wise. All right, um, so. Design-wise, magic items are not actually a part of the design of the game. They are the dessert that you can use to reward your characters for playing. Yes. Like, because, like, what Sean just said is, like, it's it, they're all game-breakers. Like, they're not supposed to have these things as far as the design of the game goes, so having them makes things very, very um, loosey-goosey, wibbly-wobbly with how the game will play from that point forward. It is very true. And... The designers of 5th edition came right out and said that. You should be able to run this game without magic items and not be, not be, the players will not be overwhelmed. The characters will not be overwhelmed. Every, you, what you just said, they said, you know, everything you add, you are adding one more game breaking element. Uh, I was in fact quoting them. Exactly. Pretty much. I mean, not word for word, but the, the gist of it was there. And I was in fact paraphrasing them. There you go. And the funny thing is, 4th edition, they went completely the opposite direction. Um, They assumed that players would have a ton of magic items and that their magic items would increase in power as they went up because they knew players wanted magic items and they knew players sometimes rebel if they don't get what they think is the correct amount of magic items. So they just made that assumption. You know, at at levels 1 through 4... You're going to have a plus one weapon at levels you know, five to ten. You're going to have a plus two, and so on and so on. And the math was made to hold that structure. Um, so they went completely opposite with fifth edition and said you don't need magic items. Um, so I don't even know where to start with magic. You know, I don't even know no, where to start. I, I think we said it like magic items as a reward are supposed to be something very special. If you were you, you do not give them willy-nilly, you think about their place in the campaign that you are running or the adventure that you are running or writing, since we're gonna, we're talking about adventure design, like, does this magic item make sense in the structure of the adventure that you are presenting? Does it really need to be there? Is it something that the players are really going to love and think it's pretty neat? Um, is it unique enough to actually matter? Because I think the worst thing that you can do and the disservice that you can do to your players is just giving them a, a plain plus one kind of item in this game. Like, in other games, it's fine. Not 5th edition D&D. It's just, yeah. it, it's, um, you're wasting, in my opinion, space there. Because that could be something way neater, because it does, it's actually outside of what it's, of, of the design of the game. It's, it's, a, it's a game breaker on purpose, so you might as well make it awesome. Yep. I wish they would have added one line to the Dungeon Master's Guide. 
that said magic items will often lose their magic after a certain amount of time. I wish they'd said that. That would give the DMs a justification for saying when a magic item becomes a problem, the magic goes away. Um, I think that would have been great. Yeah, I I would have enjoyed that immensely. And they could have even, they could have even put a mechanic on it. Every time you roll, every time you use that magic item, like roll a die, and if it's a one, then it's going to be less useful. Yeah, and you know, and of course DMs can do that anyway. Right, mm-hmm. but the rule, rules lawyery players who, you know, oh you're you're screwing me over this and that, um, you know that would have the DMs could have just said, see right there, it says right, right in the dungeon master's guide, official rule, sometimes it goes away. That would have, I mean, obviously some people still wouldn't have accepted it with grace or dignity, but at least they would have. Uh, had an official rule in the book that said so. Well, the people who wouldn't have accepted it with grace and dignity would have been doing that because they would have been expecting the thing that they've gotten all all along from playing the game. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. Anybody who had never seen that rule before, like, you know, the popu- the giant population of players that are new would have been like, oh, cool, all right, that's how it plays. Yep, yep. So, so that's yeah. that's my thing about that's my thing about magic items. Like, they're, they should be special, make them feel special. Yep, and do, I, you do not have to give a lot of them. Yep, I, I agree uh, wholeheartedly. If it's not worth sitting down and taking a, an hour to figure out the coolness of the magic item and how it fits into your story, into your world, and how it would be cool for the players without being overpowering, then it's not worth giving. I mean, unity of effect. Yep. Your magic item should, should especially fill that. They are special items that should be f- kind of front and center to your games. Um, if they're not, then yep. maybe don't give it. There you go. So, like I said, we could do a whole show on just magic items, uh, artifacts, and all this other stuff, but we'll just leave it at that. Maybe we next should sometime. Sometime, yes. Let's talk about downtime and renown. Okay, I love me some downtime. All right, yep. so downtime is a resource that you gain between adventures that you can utilize as sort of like a... Um, I'm not adventuring, so here's how I'm spending my time and my resources while I'm not adventuring. Um, there's a bunch of examples in the DMG about things you could do with it, but these are rife for writing up cool cool things where, like, if you're a player, being like, hey, DM, we have, like, ten downtime days, right? Can, like, I use my downtime to do, like, X or Y, and, they, and then you and the, the DM can get together and be like, sure, let's figure out how long it'll actually take to get your thing done and if it requires anything else. So, and and what its reward is for finishing it. So, to me, that's what downtime is 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 really good for, right there. Yep. And the DMG, and I think Xanathar's, and I know in the Acquisition Incorporated book, there are specific things that characters can do during their downtime. Mechanics for it, roles to be made on charts. So you can v- very much gamify it. It doesn't have to be strictly story um, based. You know, it can you can make it a game within a game, if you will, um, for that. It actually is a little mini game. Yep. Down downtime management and what you get for it is a mini game inside of D and D. Yep. And and in the Acquisitions Incorporated book, downtime is is even more uh, useful and, and even more um, a an intrinsic part of the game because you are managing not just your adventuring career but also a business with hirelings and. And uh, you know, agents and so on. So you know that becomes very, very important and can very much affect what happens in your adventuring career based on uh, what happens during the downtime. That's see, that's great. Like yeah. we needed more more stuff like that in D and D, right? So now we have more stuff like that in D and D. It was already kind of getting there a little bit with the Xanathars and all that stuff, but this, that's even better. Like. It, yep. it sounds like it's become now, an, if you use the Acquisitions Incorporated stuff, is an intrinsic part of play. Yep. Um, um, renown. Renown is a way to, um, you know, I'm going to stick Renown with other rewards. So let's skip to other rewards. Sure. So other rewards. This is Chapter 7 of the Dungeon Master's Guide, and it is amazing. Um, these are ways that you can give your players other rewards. Uh, that aren't magic items, but have meet some mechanical uh, benefits as well as some story benefits. 
So they give uh, examples like blessings and charms. So these are just like small powers that your character might get for doing something to help a god or their god. Uh, there are marks of prestige, like letters of recommendation or medals or parcels of land or favor, favors or titles or training or, or things, you know, rights to mine a certain area. Things like that um, are rewards that you can give that aren't necessarily mechanical and but can be important to a character as part of their story and their background. You still there? I am still here. I just ran out of words. <laughs> um, I mean, you said a lot of it. That's the problem. I'm Sorry. Trying of, I'm trying to think of where to pick up from that. Uh, um, well, you can talk about the epic boons. Sure. I just don't know anything about them. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Uh, the epic boons are another kind of reward that you can give to 20th level characters. So at level 20, you stop, right? You can't advance levels anymore. But these are things that you can give to, to 20th level characters that mechanically make them a, a just a, a little bit more powerful that replaces that full leveling. Uh, but still gives them a change to the character that the the more you know dice based uh, mechanics based players can can grab onto. Oh, that's nice. I like yeah. that a lot. I, I I remember seeing them. I just don't. Re I didn't remember how they exactly worked. Right. Okay. Um. All that other stuff. I I think even that epic boon stuff. That's all really cool because epic boon has to come from somewhere. Right. Right. Exactly. So there's um, a story reason for it. Mm -hmm. But it has a mechanical effect, which yep. those are my favorite kinds of rewards. And it's some of my favorite kinds of mechanics in games. Like, well, what is the narrative that leads into your me mechanism that creates more narrative? That's usually how I think about that stuff. So, like, you were talking about um, the letters of recommendation, medals, parcels of land, things like that. The, mm -hmm. These are all nice things, but they all have strings attached. Yes. And so the like, more strings you can attach to, th to anything, the more drama that you will have in your story. Correct. Right. The more conflict. And that's that's where the grist of your campaign should be coming from. What are all the conflicts that the characters have to deal with? A conflict can be the ancient red dragon, but it can just as easily be the nosy neighbor next door. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, also, like, when you get a stronghold or something like that, like, well, now you've given a lot more reasons to utilize things like downtime. So, like, mm -hmm. reward cycles... You're you're in a lot of ways opening up, or at least, uh, yeah, opening up more reward cycles, like broadening them and how they're used. Yeah. So it lets you play around with that stuff in your game if that's what you want to utilize. It's a nice thing about D and D is there's a lot of um, modularity to the the kind of play that you want. I mean, if you just want to dungeon delve all day, you could do that. If you want to, you know, uh, have a stronghold and protect the land from evil forces. You can actually do that now pretty effectively. If you want to run a business, you know, based on corporate greed, you can really do that now. Mm -hmm. Weird, right, Sean? Yeah. Um, and, and, and all this, you, oh, all this stuff, yeah, and all this stuff kind of like leads into it because um, renown. Did uh, which did we even get to the renown part? I think we yeah. got that. Well, like, renown is kind of those other awards things. It's it's your prestige within a group, whether it you know it be a a community or a specific group like the Harpers, where you gain um, distinction, you gain uh, importance within that group. Yeah, well, the the AI book does a lot of that too. It's not I don't do they they don't use the term renown. They use some different term, don't they? Right. Yeah. You within the company, you can grow uh, within your role within the company. Yeah, and and if you do your job well enough, you will get noticed, and your role will you'll grow in that role, right? Exactly. Yeah, and it it works kind of this, in a similar way to renown. Like it's basically, um, how are you, how are you assisting an organization, and is that organization recognizing you for your assistance? Yeah, and that means renown can go down if you don't assist the organization or do something con uh, counter to their belief structure. True, true. So yeah, it 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 can be the the carrot or the stick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can lead to more information, which is often a story-based reward. It can lead to um, some sort of benefits, like, well, we're going to, like, somebody gifts you or you have access to, um, like, uh, certain kinds of, of magic that you wouldn't have had access to before through certain organizations or, like, teleportation circles and things like that, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, like, that's sure. a reward. Mobility is a reward. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a mechanical reward, but there's also, like, you know, 
that cool story part where like well the 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 group trusts you enough to show you their super secret portal mm-hmm yep so um those are those are all the kinds of things that we're talking about with these kinds of rewards, and they're highly flexible yep um and they can be they can they can be uh and they all have in a lot of ways mechanical and story based uh parts to them right so like a blessing or a charm somebody gave you that blessing or charm that means they're generally they generally like you mm-hmm. so dealing with them or that organization that they're a part of will probably grant you advantage in a lot of situations also will probably in the in role playing situations will means that they'll be uh, more favorable and act kinder towards you but if they're if they're enemies that of those people that you've run into, then it'll have negative social uh, impacts on that. Maybe they'll shoot first and ask questions later. Right. And if you're given a boon by you know the god of justice, it also gives makes you beholden to act in a just manner because that boon could just as easily be taken away as it was given, or have some sort of bane that goes along with it if you don't act in that manner. Correct. You might not even know what that is until you don't act in that manner and the GM hands you a card. Yep. So really what we're, I mean, everything that we've talked about comes down to the fact that these rewards that you're giving are important to the game. Um, But different players have different, give different value to different kinds of rewards. Um, If you want to serve the largest audience with your game or with your game design or with your adventure writing, Think about those rewards in terms of both mechanics and story. Even if it looks like only a story-based reward, find a way to tie it into a mechanic that the players would be getting anyway, such as gaining levels. And if you are giving a purely mechanical reward, like a magic item or uh, a, a new ability, a new feat, Find a way to tie that into the story so that those mechanical-based players will come to grasp onto the story a little bit tighter than they would normally. Or if your players don't want that stuff, figure out which 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 they do and just kind of like move towards that if that's okay with you. That's absolutely right. I, I'm talking about you know this again. We talked about at the beginning this growing player base that has seen D and D through the story lens and are coming at the game more from story-based, where some of us older-school players have always had a more mechanical look at uh, the game. A way to meld those things is through these rewards. Uh, yeah. I, I would say, um, as a general tip for that kind of stuff, uh, the mechanical-based players, like, well, here's all the stuff that you get, and also remember, like, you have this 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 uh, relationship with these people now, um, it pays to keep that relationship up um, socially and and role-play-wise because you will constantly be getting these benefits mechanically if you keep doing that because that gives the the old-school mechanical base players a reason to engage because that's basically gaming the system, right? Yep. And then for the story-based players, I would suggest that your mechanical boons for the story-based stuff are a little bit more simple because they're not looking for the the deep intrinsic all the time. This is my generalization. I could be totally wrong about this for for some players, but I think this is fair for for a lot of people. Um, They they like the story stuff, and then if you give them a little extra on top of that, like, oh, yeah, and don't forget, whenever you deal with these people, you'll get, like, advantage. And they'll be like, oh, cool, I get to roll two dice instead of one. And that is almost enough for the story-based players. Right, and, and, you know, we're we're talking about two extremes, Um, of the purely mechanical, purely story-based. Uh-huh. Most people are somewhere in the middle, but it's all advice that is bringing people closer together rather than driving them further apart in their extremes. Mm-hmm. And it's important to identify which, which kind of players you have in your group and what they kind of sure. want. And you can just yep. do that by asking them. Yep. Yeah. Um, that's rewards. I mean, there's there's a lot to talk about when it comes to rewards. Right. I mean, re- re- yes. Reward cycles in games are actually a very, very important thing. Like, it's right. what gets people constantly playing the game, right? And, you know, if you're listening, you know, hashtag, or hashtag, uh, on Twitter, let Chris and I know if there's something that you specifically wanted us to talk about in this reward section, whether it be something, you know, uh, something more granular where you want to talk about how much to give or 
you know, uh, if you want to hear a full show on magic items, let us know. We can totally do any of those things. We absolutely can. All right, let's do some Patreon shoutouts and get out of here. How's that sound? I like that idea. All right. Uh, Matthew Petrarelli, uh, Dan Simons, Craig Just Craig, Eileen Barnes, Jim Likes Games, Andrew Dacey, Eric Bonds, Todd Crapper, Schmitty, Kevin Lovecraft, P.K. Sullivan, John C. LeMay, and John Carney. You are all wonderful people. I thank you so much for being our patrons. And speaking of patrons, if you would like to be a patron of Down with D&D, you can click on the link to our Patreon page on the website. And for just $2 a month, you can get yourself a shout-out like you just heard. Or for $4 a month, you not only get one of those great shout-outs, but you also get access to our show notes where we have links and further thoughts and access to our Misdirected Mark Slack room where you can chat with us about such topics at your convenience. You know, if you don't have a couple bucks to throw our way, but you want to help us out anyway, just give us a review. Any podcatcher will do, um, especially Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Yeah, we appreciate that. Or just share our links uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, wherever you do your social media-ing, and we would appreciate that. Yeah, retweet the show when you see it, and you know, talk about us to other, all your friends. Sean, where can we find you on the Internet? The best place to find me is on Twitter, at Sean Merwin. How about you, Chris? Uh, it's at Mark for the network, or at the Light 101 That's my Twitter, and I will respond to that pretty regularly these days. You can also just go to the website. Um, we have a bunch of other shows. One of those shows is Pandas Talking Games. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about Phil and Send and the game that they made. It's called Turning Point. Uh, Turning Point is a dramatic collaborative decision-making engine. Now, that sounds like a whole lot of jargony words. And really what it means is that it is a game about real life. It's a story game. Um, it's, it's GMless. There's a facilitator. But you are making a choice about something major in your life, like... Do you want to have a, a kid or not? Do you want to uh, try a new drug to better your life situation or not? Um, things like that. And it works in a way that you um, you start there, like you're about to make the choice, and then you have five scenes that are in a flashback scenes that um, have uh, different poles for how you might want to make that that might relate to that choice that you're making. And you have those scenes, and everybody plays NPCs, and everybody gets to play the main character. And it's this really uh, touching story. It can be a little bit bleedy. It's definitely set in the real world. It's not necessarily the thing that I think a lot of us D&D players would, would be playing all the time, but if you're looking for something different, the quick start, it's on drive through. It's pretty cheap. I'd say check it out. Plus, the um, the game teaches you how to play it as you read through it. It's only like 10 pages. There's like a nice like read-aloud section that will teach everybody how to play while you're playing. Yep, I did the editing on it, and it is a marvelous game if you are into narratives and group storytelling and, you know, thinking about consequences for past actions. Yeah, that's by Phil and Senda, so from mm-hmm. Pandas Talking Games. Down with D&D is a misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. So, Sean, buddy old pal, what are we going to do now? We're going to go kill some monsters and take their stuff. <gasps> yes! Murder hoboing all the way! You down with D and D? Yeah, you know me. You down with D and D? Yeah, you know me. You down with D and D? Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D and D? You down with D and D? Yeah, you know me. You down with D and D? Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D and D? Yeah, you know me.